The New Covenant of Exodus by Elizabeth Austring. Elizabeth Austring, MB, CHB, PhD, a physician and theologian, is an adjunct research officer for Avondale University, Kurunbong, New South Wales, Australia. While the concept of the New Covenant is well testified to and expressed in the New Testament, it is directly mentioned only once in the Old Testament. Yet a careful reading of the book of Exodus indicates that the New Covenant was actually declared and offered to God's people as they camped at the foot of Mount Sinai and is therefore deeply embedded in God's approach to his chosen people throughout history. While two excellent recent studies on God's covenants explore the concepts involved admirably, neither study locates the New Covenant in the Sinai setting. Jeremiah and Moses As with any biblical text, the context of Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 is important. Jeremiah, who apparently introduces the idea of a new covenant, prophesied that when the sins of Israel had reached a certain point, God would have to allow them to return to captivity reminiscent of the Egypt experience, although this time in Babylon. William Holliday noted the marked references, allusions to, and echoes of Exodus in the book of Jeremiah. Of special note is the fact that both Moses and Jeremiah were reluctant to accept their call from God, because they believed that they could not speak well. Robert P. Carroll also noted similarities between Exodus and Jeremiah and observed that although Jeremiah does not employ the word quote-unquote covenant in his other discourses, he used many covenantal concepts such as son, bride, or wife. However, one significant point of difference is that whereas Moses was called to quote, my people, the sons of Israel, end quote, God summoned Jeremiah to be a quote, Prophet to the nations. End quote. Of particular note, as it is found in the same chapter that introduces the idea of quote unquote new covenant, is Jeremiah 31 verses 2 and 3, which reads quote, Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from afar. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. End quote. The Old Covenant of Sinai. After a description of the dire plight of the Israelites in Egypt in Exodus 1 and the abortive attempts of Moses to come to their rescue in chapter 2, attempts which leave him apparently stranded in the wilderness with no ability to do anything for his people the narrative reveals what God is about to do. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So. The covenant with Abraham was the basis for God's intervention to rescue Israel from Egypt. 
Thus, the incredible story of Israel's Passover and exodus from Egypt and God's typological salvation of his people was clearly the result of covenantal promise. And that is unmistakably the background God alludes to in his preamble to the Ten Commandments, a preamble often sadly omitted from what is regarded as the core of the Old Covenant. Quote, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. End quote. Here we see that loving deliverance came before the law. But as the narrative unfolds, we learn that the people of Israel clearly thought God was presenting them with an agreement between equals, and although they liked, appreciated, and were very grateful for what God had done in rescuing them from Egypt, they honestly believed they were capable of holding up their side of the contract. Three times they declared, quote, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. End quote. After a series of social and religious regulations clearly designed to radically differentiate the culture of Israel from that of the surrounding people groups, something contemporary Christians should note, the Sinai Covenant was impressively ratified in a ceremony that involved rereading the words of the agreement and sacrificing an unspecified number of bulls whose blood was literally thrown over the people to indicate that the covenant had indeed been cut or ratified. The ceremony ended with the amazing experience of 74 men ascending Mount Sinai and quote-unquote seeing and eating with God, or more precisely, seeing God's feet and the pavement on which they rested. Moses then left the people in the charge of Aaron and Hur, while he returned to God to receive instructions about the sanctuary in which the God of the covenant was actually planning to dwell among his covenant people. The New Covenant of Sinai The enormous tragedy of the molten calf episode only 40 days after the ratification of the covenant because the people could not cope without a visible leader, the subsequent loss of Moses' temper, and the shattering of the tablets of the covenant, and then Moses' amazing offer to sacrifice himself for their reinstatement of his people, are well known. Commentary author Peter Enns makes an insightful comment, quote, The Christological dimension of this interchange between God and Moses is obvious. Moses' offer is not simply a flash-forward to the time of Christ. Rather, at the very inception of the sacrificial system, it is a glimpse into the heart of the heavenly reality to which the sacrificial system points. End quote. The whole covenantal agreement of Exodus 19-24 was irretrievably destroyed, demolished by Israel's failure. Interestingly, Throughout this commentary on the Golden Calf episode, Jewish scholar Benno Jacob refers to Abraham's failure in Genesis 16, which occurs between the quote-unquote two covenants that God made with him. God apparently backed out of the agreement with Israel, but mercifully offered to send an angel with the people so that they could still proceed to Canaan. Moses, however, was not satisfied and neither were the now very contrite people. Israel's leader pled to see God, clearly hoping that a face-to-face -face encounter would soften God's refusal to continue with, quote-unquote, his people. 
God first, and significantly, asked Moses to make a new set of stone tablets and agreed that he would show Moses his glory. After Moses was hidden in the rock, highly symbolic, there follows words that the Old Testament professor James Bruckner says that it is, quote, hard to overemphasize the importance of, end quote, which he regards as the center of the book of Exodus, words that are the clearest description of God's character in the whole Bible. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation? Echoes of this splendid message and its message of forgiveness frequently appear throughout the Bible, including the New Testament. Moses' response to this incredible revelation is to make haste to bow and worship. These beautiful words introduce an entirely new concept into the previously agreed-upon covenant. The people had thought they could, in their own ability, keep their side of the agreement, but they failed miserably. Now it is revealed that the only way the agreement can continue is through the new and amazing concept that God will actually forgive them. Jacob makes a beautiful comment on Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. Quote, God took the guilt upon himself and let it sink into the fire of his holiness and love. He bore it out of the world. End quote. Exodus 34 verse 10 clearly shows that this is not a simple renewal of the previous covenant, as commonly assumed. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Terence Frethame also recognizes this and notes, quote, What God is doing for Israel is an act parallel to the creation of the world. This suggests that verse 10 does not, strictly speaking, refer to a renewal of the covenant of chapters 19 through 24. At least one decisively new element in this text is not present in chapters 19 through 24. This is a new covenant grounded in a new act of God on behalf of Israel. God places the relationship with Israel on a new footing. It is now grounded in undeserved divine forgiveness for an apostate people. End quote. It is also highly significant that the Bible presents bara, quote unquote, to create, as an activity belonging to God alone, whereas the word asa, meaning simply quote-unquote, made, applies to the things humans, quote-unquote, create. Of course, God has forgiven the people many times earlier for their repeating grumbling and complaining. But clearly, it took a disaster as horrendous as the golden calf failure to force them to see that their status with God depended entirely on His mercy and forgiving love. His has said, God did not lower the standard. Exodus 34 Verses 11 through 26 clearly reiterates the summary of the same laws given earlier 
but now covered by divine, forgiving grace. It is worth noting that years later, when Moses reports these stupendous events to the new generation of Israel about to enter the Promised Land, he uses the word, quote-unquote, fire, Hebrew, esh, no less than 14 times to describe the events around the giving of the Ten Commandments. But when describing the situation after the Golden Calf episode, the dominant word becomes love, Hebrew, aheb, repeated seven times in chapters 10 and 11, and also seven times in chapters 6 and 7, including one instance of hesed, steadfast love. Most significantly, in this passage, Moses encourages Israel to circumcise the foreskin of their hearts, a very New Testament, New Covenant concept. Jeremiah's Old New Covenant So, when Jeremiah talks about a new covenant, he is not introducing a new concept, but simply reminding Israel of their desperate need for God's forgiveness. As after the golden calf, of their need to be reinstated into their relationship with God. The only difference between the new covenant of Sinai and that of the New Testament is a powerful demonstration of just how much it actually cost God to provide for Israel's and our forgiveness. At Sinai, after the golden calf incident, Israel knew with absolute clarity that the covenant between them and God was utterly dependent on his mercy and his gracious forgiveness. The whole Sinai covenant itself amply demonstrates this. And now? But as history demonstrates, many, if not most, in Israel succumbed to errors that are just as easy to make today. People may mistakenly consider themselves able to conform to God's standards in their own strength, a tragic misconception that the Gospels revealed regarding the leaders of Israel. The astonishing behavior of the ardent keepers of the law who destroyed the only one who could take away their sins is a powerful reminder that we must recognize just how great is our need and that, as our Savior himself said, without him we can do nothing. But it is just as tragic for people to presume on God's mercy and think his love will automatically forgive any behavior and thus block the Holy Spirit's transforming power in their lives. The revelation of Jesus Christ declares, quote, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. End quote. The commandments and faith are both needed. The new covenant, located in both testaments, weaves together law and grace. Jesus said, quote, For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. End quote. And we will always need God's amazing grace. For bibliographical and biblical references on this article and for much more content for pastors and church leaders, please visit ministrymagazine.org.